Life is hectic, demanding, and doesn't stop. When honest with ourselves, we must confess we often don't know what the hell we're doing. The LARCast is an ongoing conversation about the inclusive and mischievous nature of God's presence through the lens of all the things that make up this phenomenon we refer to as life. Astonishing grace and refreshing honesty collide right here for your weekly encouragement. Welcome back to the LARCast, where you get to hear two unenlightened fellows talk about God's reckless grace for a religious world. I am one of the unlightened fellows. Uh, my name is <laughs> my name is Tony, and joining me is a slightly less unenlightened person, Russ Johnson. Hello, Russ. Hey, what's up, buddy? <laughs> you might be hey. wondering why would you refer to yourself as an unenlightened person? Well, yeah. I'm just I'm just taking some of the recent feedback we've gotten um, about our podcast. Someone posted recently. And we were a couple unenlightened fellows. And um, I, I, I found that kind of humorous. I, I thought that was great. Um, and uh, I like I like the hate. I embrace the hate, embrace the criticism. So it's got, we mm. got a good chuckle out of that. It was good, man. It was good. It was uh, apparently, um, I would say, based off the feedback we're getting, there's a lot of good stuff that's happening with, with this podcast. So it was a little bit of a shock for me personally to see this like one-star review. I'm like, what? What? And being, you know, referred to as unenlightened and um, a parody for, I guess, conservative thought. That was also another funny, funny note to me. I'm like, so mm-hmm. if you take the scriptures at face value and just let them be as reckless and as good as they are, you're somehow conservative in one camp, and then yet you're hated as a liberal from another camp. <laughs> so I'm like, damn, dude, like we're just never gonna win. <laughs> never gonna win. Never gonna win. And that's okay. That's okay. But um, yeah, we're back. We're back in the uh, the parables series. The parabolic podcasting continues uh, mm. today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Really, all of our podcasts have been in Matthew chapter 13. It's not to say that the other gospel writers aren't sharing some of these same parables. Um, but um, yeah. today we're going to get we're getting into the parable of the net or the parable of of the dragnet. Um, and I don't know if t- right now would be a good time to say this is kind of going to be our last podcast on this very specific topic of of the kingdom. We're going to move on to other things like grace and judgment and and um, and some other things as well. So we're really kind of like wrapping up really a cluster of podcasts on the kingdom specifically yeah, man. Um, here with this one. So it's um, for those of you following along at home uh, with the scriptures. Um, it's Matthew 13, 47 to 50. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it and we can, we can dive in. By the way, this is, this is one of my favorite ones. I love this one. Um, it's a imagery, challenge, dude. Yeah, the imagery is, I think the imagery is great. Um, all right, here we go. Matthew 13, 47 to 50. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore. And sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm, dude, that, uh, that throws a little bit of a wrench, man, in some people's minds in regards to what Jesus is like and what the kingdom is like. Until, until you really start to peel back 
what he's saying here. Yeah, I just want to say one introductory thought. If you are finding yourself kind of frustrated that we're really not diving into some of the like the judgment um, aspects or concepts um, and you think like, oh, man, they're not really like talking about the whole like weeping and gnashing of teeth and the separating of the contents and stuff like that. Just freaking hold on. Okay. Like (laughs) we are going to dive into even some of the more difficult kind of like judgment parables, like in Matthew 25, um, separation of sheep and goats and those kinds of things. We're going to get, we're going to really dive into that for sure. So just, just hang on and you, you might not. You might not be satisfied then even. So yeah, maybe skipping over it might be if you're kind of like a, like you really love hell kind of a thing. (laughs) Like if you're like, yes, hell, um, yeah, I don't know if we're going to satisfy just what we need to straighten, (laughs) help people straighten up and fly. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so the whole, the whole idea of judgment, um, we got some thoughts on that. So just, just stay tuned, stay tuned. Yeah. And not to say that the scriptures, you know, do not speak to this because they do. And Absolutely. we'll definitely get to those parables. Um, but if, yeah, anybody who's following along with us, if, if they're familiar with these parables, probably has picked up on the idea that we're just walking through them as they come. And so when Jesus first starts teaching in parables, he, he's speaking to what the kingdom of God is like. That's how he starts out, which is why we've been walking through these. And then we start to see these, these parables that really point to God's grace. And we also see parables that point to a judgment that comes from refusing God's grace. Right. Um, so we'll definitely get there. But uh, yeah, just, just hold on. <laughs> so we have a parable that is hitting close to home for you because we're really on the topic of fishing, bro. Mm. This is like, right. This is right up your alley. It is. It is. Um, not that I'm good at it, but it is something I love to do. And uh, I've had the chance to catch a many, many, many fish in my day. And, you know, it's sort of a way of life, I guess. You know, if you live by the water in Florida, I mean, there, that is why so many people move here, at least in my mind. But yeah, dude, the kingdom of God is like a net, right? They got thrown into the sea. Is what Jesus yeah, says. What kind of net is this? That might be a helpful place to start off. I was hoping you were going to explain that. You want me to explain it? I could do yeah, that. Man. I could do that. So the net, um, I think last time I, I studied this, it seems to be like maybe one or two times this particular net is used. And yeah. so if you can imagine, you know, back then they don't have like the, the fishing kind of like technology that we have today, I would say, right. Even though we still use we still use nets, but back then it was definitely more like net based. Um, and you might have like a few dudes in like a small boat that are maybe like throwing out like a single net or something like that. When, when you hear this net, think of like more of like a, a commercial size net, like almost like two boats, like stranded together, like throwing a net from one boat to the next. And this thing drops down to the bottom. It's weighted. It's big. It's massive. And this thing just moves and covers a massive, massive area of water and just collects everything in its path. So, yeah. so think less small business individual fishing with a net and think maybe more multiple boats, multiple men casting a net that drops deep into the water, covers a huge um, area of water and, and of the of the lake or well, ocean or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, man. Like in this case, I think you hit the nail on the head. You do find the word net in various places in the scriptures. Um, fishing was definitely a, you know, a, a key industry at that time, just as it is now. And even for some of the disciples. But 
I think the, the beauty in this, in this picture that Jesus points to about the kingdom is he uses a specific word in reference to this net, which is a dragnet, which is what you were just talking about. And it really does stretch from one end okay, of where it's dragging along of the, of the water base to the other, and it drags along the bottom. And so this isn't just like some net that you throw like a cast net. Like when I go fishing, man, I'll throw a cast net, find some different spots, especially like around pillars and bridges, you know, areas like that where you'll find bait fish, where you might be looking out on the water and you can see where they're schooling or you're watching pelicans and where they're diving. And we'll head in that direction. We get up near it, right? We're throwing a pretty large cast net on top. We're pulling that thing right up, you know, immediately. And hopefully you've got some good bait fish there, man, to go catch larger fish with. In this case, you know, what Jesus is showing here is a, is a this isn't something that's just grabbing like one little you know pocket of fish and something you know and and a lot of the fish out of there are going to escape this before you're able to lock that net down and pull it back up. Okay, what he's referring to is the kingdom of God is like a net that gets thrown into this to this water, and it drags from one end of the shore to the other, and it drags along the bottom, and it's collecting everything. The kingdom of God is like a net that is collecting everything and everyone. And it's being pulled to shore. Yeah, it's like, I really like the emphasis again in this parable that it mentions good and bad. It brings Mm -hmm. us back to the treasure hidden in the field, right? Like it's in this field and this field is not very pretty or there's some things in this field that aren't very pretty. In a similar way, this net is gathering, um, it's gathering good and bad, good fish and bad fish. Like I would say like now when you go out for like a charter or fishing or whatever, you have a very specific fish in mind where you have mm-hmm. those fish that are valuable, right? If you end up yeah. catching some, like, I don't know, you know what I'm saying? Like I live by, you know, steel mills, dude. You know, we joke about like catching, you know, fish with like four eyes out here and two heads because all the like <laughs> waste going up, up near Lake Michigan, South shore. Um, you know, there's definitely some valuable fish and there's some invaluable, you know, fish, Yeah. but this net dude is gathering good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus says that this net rejects nothing. It's indiscriminate in what it collects and what it gathers. So you mean almost like kind of, I don't know, like, like reckless. <laughs> you can say reckless for sure. Yeah. It's yeah, not man. cherry picking the best and the brightest and the most holy. And you mm-hmm. see it again, like this theme comes out, you know, like, Again, the first one of the parable of the sower and the seed, we're throwing seed right on hardened pads, weedy places, um, yep. you know, uh, rocky soil. Yeah. Um, again, the treasure hidden in the field. Um, the, it's the whole field. The leaven is in the whole lump. Yep. Yeah. The kingdom of God is like leaven, right? That's that's now indistinguishable from the dough. Like the two have made the dough. It's, it's all one now. Mm-hmm. It's leaven the whole lump. The whole lump of creation has been leavened by the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. The whole field, sinkholes, snakes, mice, poison ivy, all of it, right? The kingdom is like a treasure that's hidden in all the field of all the world. The seed's been thrown out to, right? All of the soil that's represented. And it works like this mustard seed that grows into this thing that's beautiful, that people go larking around in its shade. And like, these are these parables, man, that we've been talking about, about this, like what this kingdom of God is like. And, you know, here we have Jesus saying that, that, that the kingdom of God is also like this dragnet that collects everything. It's indiscriminate. It rejects nothing. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, a, it's a fishing enterprise that's that at its core really is reckless in regards to all that it's grabbing a hold of. Beer cans, bottles, boots, right? 
boots. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you got the old cartoons, you know, you're fishing and you pull up a boot. You're like, oh, I got a big one. Yep. No, it's just a boot. <laughs> just a boot, dude, which is always amazing because some whoever's catching this boot is acting like they got a whale in those old cartoons. And instead, it's like a size nine boot. <laughs> yep. but, but I think that's like the beauty of this picture that I think we oftentimes forget. Um, you know, Jesus does say that one day this net will arrive on the beach. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that if you look in the passage, he says that the angels, not us, okay, the angels, not us, will determine what is and what is not. Right. Which was the same with the weed and the wheat. You know, there is similar language of um, a separation um, that's coming. But for right now, good and yeah. bad mingle. Yeah, man. The uh, There is no in and out, you yeah. know, so to speak, which is funny because, you know, I think one of the one of the things that Christians love to do is talk about who's in and who's out. And yeah. this these parables really challenge that whole the whole basis of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because in terms of how what God is doing in the world, the timeline of his of his story of human history, um, is everybody's included right now. Everybody's involved. And yep. to start separating mm-hmm. the contents from each other in determining what's good and what's bad prior to the appointed time that God has set for these angels to do this separating, that doesn't further the work and the movement of this kingdom at all. In fact, if anything, the weed and the wheat showed us that the only the only threat to the kingdom is the well-intentioned good deeds of the servants to separate the contents before the predetermined time. Mm. What do you, why do you think that is, man? Because we just don't freaking know, dude. You can't detect the growth and the fruit of a mustard seed, man. You could look. There's a period of time when you look at a lump right before it turns into the actually like fully baked bread. We're just mm-hmm. like, man, this is, you know, is this thing any good? You look at the ground, there's a seed in there, but it's just buried. It hasn't come to fruition. You can make a determination on what that thing is before it's appropriate time. Yep. Or you can come along and easily misdiagnose, right? Uh, wheat for a certain type of weed, as yeah. Jesus says. It's like, he's not only like warning us that that we could possibly get in the way of what the kingdom's doing. In that parable that we unpacked a few episodes ago about the weed and the wheat, he yeah. literally says, back off, stay out, leave this operation alone. If you get involved in this, you will create harm. Right. That's what he tells them. You will cause harm. You don't know what is and what isn't. You don't know what I'm doing. You don't know who will become what. You don't know when it's going to happen. And so I think ultimately what we find in all of these parables, and especially this one, is this invitation to trust, man, that the kingdom is, as we've talked about, right? It is present and it is working. It's actual and it is mysterious. And it is like, like it is, it is a, a, something that's hidden in plain sight. Okay. And it is universal. It's grabbing everything coastline to coastline, bottom of the right bottom of the waterbed, bro. It's pulling it all. Even the stuff that you don't think matters or is worthy or should be there. Cause again, you don't know. So ultimately I think what Jesus is saying is like, here's a, here's a picture of what the kingdom's like. It's something that I'm doing. It's universal. It's mysterious. It's actual, it's present. It's working. It's rejecting nothing. It's pulling everything to shore. And there is a day coming when I will decide what is what, and there will be a separation. But that, he says here, is not until the end. And my angels are the ones that I'm employing for this task, not you. 
Mm-hmm. So when I read that, I'm like, man, what is it in us that is so hell bent on entering ourselves into these stories where Jesus is describing what he's doing in the world where we have no place? It's just ultimately, man, I just, when you, I guess when you just get down to it, it's like we just, at the end of the day, we just won't take him at his word, man. So if he's describing his kingdom in, in terms of things that are really in a lot of ways undetectable to the human eye, mm-hmm. right? Like weed and wheat are basically, they look the same until the very last, last minute. Um, if he's hiding his kingdom in a lump of dough or it's this mustard seed that, you know, just seems like just weak and inept and mm-hmm. powerless and small and frail, right? It's like, we need to approach these things with humility. And if there's anything that I have seen both in the church and in the world is um, we, we really overestimate our ability to discern <laughs> what is and what isn't. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest ways that I see that coming out, and I want to really like dive into it too much here because I want to save some of this for last call, which we're, we're going to be doing um, is on the issue of, of evil, you know, Mm. there, we look at like the evil in the world and we ask, man, like what in God's name does, does like these, these evil things, like, like what good is there in this? There's, there can't be any good, any good in any of this. And we just want to see it be gone. We just want to see it be removed. We want to see it right. Be different or made whole or all of that. And I think there is a good, you know, longing there that one day, you know, these things are not going to be, and things are going to be made right. Um, but man, I wonder if that's like at the basis of the the servants, you know, too, and this idea of like, man, there can't be any good for this. We, these weeds to be in this field, let's just remove it. And yeah, it's like, like, man, there's a humility in knowing that there's a, God has a really good and like fine and very purposeful reason for why that mm-hmm. exists in the world. Yeah. Like looking at the net saying like, yeah, there's a lot of fish here that shouldn't count. Don't count. Sure. will never count. They shouldn't be a part of this net. They shouldn't be, you know, caught up in this contents and being pulled to something that's beautiful. And Jesus says otherwise, because I think when you, when you really press into it, man, like, well, there's, there can't be any good in this. Well, Dave, if you want to get technical, you left to yourselves, there's no good in you either. There's no good in me at my core, man. I always choose the self-reliant path of trying to be my own God and set out and achieve my own destiny. And I'm pretty jaded in my views of what is and what isn't, because guess what? I'm a frail, foolish human being. And I think that's all of us, man. And so, yeah, I would agree with what you were saying earlier. Like there's an element of humility in this and just recognizing that he's God and we're not. And he's the one that's describing his kingdom like this operation. And it's an operation that he's leading. It's a net that he's cast. We we didn't choose to get caught up in this thing, just to be clear. Mm -hmm. So it's really funny when you think about people deciding who should and shouldn't be there as if they came swimming along and and chose to enter into some gate that was available on some side of the net. Mm -hmm. No, no. The net was thrown and the net's grabbing everything. That's what his kingdom's like. And he's pulling it to shore. It's a work of him, dude. And it's like, like you were saying earlier, it's, it's not a question of who counts and, and who's included. It's, it's a question of what God is like and who he's gone on to made count and what he's decided to include. And yes, there will be that day, man, where he will separate, he says. But again, that's not until the end. That's his decision, not ours. And we have not been invited into that operation. So for, for crying out loud, man, there just comes a point when you have to take him at his word, be grateful, 
and hang it up. You know, it's like, hang, hang it up, dude. Just rejoice in what he's like and, and by faith learn to walk in him. Because by the way, you've only been given a life of faith, right? The Corinthians is pretty plain. Our faith, right, is in him who is unseen. Mm-hmm. Our faith is not in what we can see because what we can see is temporary and limited by our ability to see. But what we can't see is him who's never limited. What we can't see is him who did come live, die and rise from the grave, dude, to mm-hmm. forgive humanity and yeah. bring us to life. Yeah. The whole that's, thing. That's the life of faith. The whole thing screams trust, man. Yes. Yes. I think like thinking about that and like the inclusion in the gospel, um, C. Baxter Kruger said it this way, and I love it. He said, the gospel is not the news that you can be involved with Jesus. If only you get your religion right. The gospel is not news of what you can be at all. I love that, dude. The gospel is not news of what can be at all. It is news of what is. Hmm. It is the news that you are involved yeah. b- because of someone else. Speaking of Seabax, that, that's phenomenal. Speaking of Seabax or Kruger, he's, he noted, and this dovetails with what we've been talking about in the parables, because the very first episode we talked about um, are you in or are you out? And what we're seeing as these parables of the kingdom unfold is that really we're all included in what mm. he's doing. Yep. The movement happens from inclusion, which we're seeing in the parable of the dragnet here, good and bad are all included in what's happening. But those who are in are pressing in or they're in on what the king is doing, meaning he's just made himself known. Yeah. Or they've actually, like, with inhumility, have just leaned an ear in to actually listen, to ask the question, to press in to the yeah. conversation instead of hardening their heart and resisting, right? Any work of the king in his effort to reveal himself and to move you to the will and the work of God, which is to trust in the one whom the Father has sent, John 6. The whole thing that God is doing in the world is he's trying to reveal himself. Yeah. Now, what I thought was that we started out separated and that God revealed himself and then we were included yeah, by what we did, by yeah. what we did, meaning uh, I trusted in that. I was smart enough to figure it out or whatever. I began that, to live like I trusted in that. That's a major yeah. piece for, for most people, right? In the Christian yeah, camp. Yeah you, need yeah. To, yeah. you need to be living as if it was a true trust in that. Yep. Oh my gosh, dude. I could talk about that for a long yeah. time. Probably with a counselor, mostly. I would probably need to do that with a licensed counselor. Um, But um, and all the people that I used to lay that on um, too, they probably would need to go see a counselor as well. There, lots of them are keeping many couches warm right now. (laughs) (laughs) Talking with psychiatry. What's funny, and I don't want to tip our cap too much into the idea of judgment or some of the some of the um, some of the things we're seeing about judgment. But it seems like what these parables are saying is that we all really kind of like start off included because of just the heart of this God who made us and made the world. And we move not from revelation or this idea of revealing. That's what I mean when I say that we don't move from revelation to inclusion. We move from inclusion to revelation Mm -hmm. that we're actually discovering what is. That's a major, so love, major, love, love that quote from Baxter. Yeah. Major point, dude, that you're bringing up. And I, and I love that. Like, that's what we are definitely seeing in these parables Yeah, uh, about the kingdom. Jesus himself is, is painting this picture of humanity starting out included. And then in that inclusion, by faith, awakening to this reality, as you said, this revelation. And from what we can tell as we keep walking through these parables is there's definitely a a time and place where people in their unbelief will exclude themselves 
but they exclude themselves from a place of first being included. Mm. The net has, the kingdom of God is like a net that has grabbed every single thing. And this would be congruent with everything that we've already looked at in other parables and other episodes. And he is pulling it all to shore. And one day they will separate it and the angels will do this work, he says. But in the meantime, dude, we really are free to be what we, what we really truly are. Yeah. Which is as right as Capen says, a random sampling of this broken, half-cocked world that God in Christ loves. I love that, dude. He says to be the church, which is simply the people who believe this, to be the church and paint a picture of anything else would be false advertisement. Hmm. That's that's all that we are. And we're learning yeah. to live into this reality by faith. That's the journey in front of us. And dude, it's it's so encouraging. And at the same time, so freeing in regards to how we can approach God and how we can approach others and even how we see those who, who don't yet believe. It's a very beautiful thing that just gets constantly jacked up because we just won't take him at his word, man. Yeah. I used to start, I used to start the gospel in the telling of it, whether I was a preacher or if I had an opportunity to share, you know, with somebody, I already, I always started with separation. And so yeah. you look at this parable in Matthew 13, it doesn't start with separation. Dude, the seed and the soil, the seed and the wheat and the weeds, right? It the all leaven. starts with, it all starts with indiscriminate inclusion. Yeah. This. Separation comes at the end. Yep. And so I don't want to, again, I don't want to dive too much into that because I think there's a lot to unpack. But the other thing is what you were just saying about the random sampling, um, you know, Pam and I have, um, this summer we have some opportunities to walk with some young couples. I, I, I think I'm doing like four weddings or whatever. And not every one of them wants like premarital counseling or is even like pressing in, but there's, you know, yeah. there's a, there's a couple that are like, we love and we know, and you know, we're, we're diving in and stuff. And um, we were just sharing, you know, about our marriage and our history and our past together. And, um, you know, I've been married to, with to Pam for 18 years. I've been with her longer than I've been without her. And like, we've been through it, dude. You know, like we've learned a thing or two because uh, <laughs> we've gone through a thing or two. And I had this thought today. I go, because it's really important for us to share with these couples, like some of the things we've learned, but like how we've learned them, like the painful path into learning, you know, these things. And so we're just being raw and we're just being honest, not like, Hey, this is what your marriage should look like. And we're not like shooting all over these couples. I'm sure you've experienced ministry or help from other oh, supposed yeah, help from other people where it's like, it's just all the shoulds, you know, you just should should on everyone. Shit on them, shit on them, (laughs) shit on them, just shitting everywhere. Um, And um, I I had the thought today, I go, you know, if if you share the wisdom that you've gleaned from life without the failure, right? Or the Mm -hmm. multiple failures that it took for you to like get there and like really discover that or come to understand it, you really do a disservice to couples because you're portraying this idea of like, oh my gosh, like look at all this wisdom and right. You've learned all these things. Sharing wisdom without talking about the freaking face plants that you've done in life, right? Like absolute <laughs> foot and mouth face plant, absolute failure that like led you into that discovery. You do a disservice. And I just had that thought when you were sharing that. You do. You do. The last thing, as we've often said together, or when we've spoken at places or things that we've written, or even on this podcast, the last thing um, anybody needs is another pious Christian passing on how they use the gospel to slay this giant in their life, right? And how they've 
they've overcome and they're walking in victory and how you can do the same if you follow these seven steps. It's like, dude, shut the hell up. Oh, dude. That is not Christianity. That is not Jesus. That is not the cross. Dude, I have an awesome one for you. So you know how um, back when we were doing ministry, it was like gospel centered and like all this other stuff. Dude, there's a there's a new word out. It's Uh-oh. yeah, and I've been like so out of the game. I stopped listening to a lot of different things. But someone said the this word to me the other day, gospelized. You have to have like <laughs> I, I can barely even get it out. You have to have a gospel a gospelized home. <laughs> so gosh, man, come on. And just so you just so everyone is clear, we are we are not opposed to or saying that there is not transformation in life with Jesus. We are not saying that. Yeah. What I what what we're, we're just saying, saying it's a work of Jesus. Is when <laughs> when we equate a life of transformation or make promises or put yeah. on an Excel spreadsheet the who, when, what, where, why, and how, and the progress of this transformation yeah. on people. That is the thing we have a beef with because the gospel is first and foremost, not something that it does something that it does something to us. Yeah. Um, practically, it is an announcement about us. Yeah. An announcement that points to the work of someone else and what we've been brought into because of his doing it's news that's yes that's the gospel and you might believe this and suffer and wrestle all of your days Mm -hmm. and in so doing will have no bearing whatsoever on god's love for you god's presence with you god's commitment to you Mm -hmm. at all and i think dude this like this what we call like this theology of glory right which is the opposite of a theology of the cross which is what we're clinging to Mm -hmm. um is quite dangerous And I think that even dovetails, man, like right into this parable that we were just talking about, because what I'm noticing um, that I've seen at work in my own life, just to be clear and to confess here, um, and what I've seen um, from people in and around me over the years is I think we wrestle with the parables from Jesus about what the kingdom of God is really like. And we oftentimes twist it and turn it into like some operation that we're somehow in charge of with our spreadsheets, as you said. I think we wrestle with that or even wrestle with with the word gospel and transformation and what should be in our lives and all these things just because of a misunderstanding of power in general. Yeah. I really do think that. I think a misunderstanding of power and what it is and what it's not and what it's used for and what it looks like in the world um, has, has re- really done a, a true disservice to a lot of people in the name of Jesus and especially as they're thinking about these parables. Hmm. Um, and for me, it's been helpful over the years to almost sort of adopt a little bit of like, I don't know if you'd call it a framework, um, you know, just something to, to, to take from the scriptures and look at and cling to and grab onto and remember as I'm reading parables, something to look to as I'm looking at my own life or the struggles or things that are going on in society. Because again, man, like we, we, this idea of trusting in the king and a work of the kingdom that doesn't look like what we think and doesn't appear the way we think it should, right? And, and isn't happening on our timetables. And I think that's why so many people in the name of Jesus run to all these other ideas and frameworks and tools that are popular now for how we fix humanity, right? It just boils down to, we just don't trust that he's doing something that we can't see, man. Yeah. We want, we want the leaven to be baked 
faster. We want the mustard seed to grow faster. We want the yeah. field to get separated faster. We want the net to come to shore faster. Yeah. And all that sounds really fine and dandy until you start to think about, well, what about when you were on the flip side of that freaking desire? <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, exactly. what about when you were running around being an asshole, dude? <laughs> yes. Right. Are you not <laughs> grateful that it did that? Are the- you not grateful for the patience <laughs> of the Lord? Yeah. 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 Thank God he didn't decide to stop dragging the net, dude. You know what I'm saying? On me 22 years ago. Yeah, totally. I've been shit out of luck. But I just, it's, it's kind of mind boggling to me, but I really do think it just comes down to this misunderstanding of power. And, and what I mean is take a few things, for instance, from the scriptures. Okay. I'm, I'll name off five. All right. And I thought, thought it might be cool, man, for us to just chat about this for a minute. Okay, we don't need to belabor it, but I think this would be really helpful to our audience. Um, At least that's my belief, just in regards to how helpful it's been to me and some of the people I know. Five quick things. One, think about the incarnation of Jesus, okay? How God comes into the world in the form of man. Think about the temptation that Jesus faced, okay? Think about the crucifixion that Jesus willingly endures, even like even declares, this is my mission is to die. Think about the resurrection of Jesus from the grave. And lastly, think about the ascension of Jesus. Hmm. Okay. Think about how he leaves this world in human form. Sure. When you look at those things, okay. And in light of what is actually shown in the scriptures, you realize that God has a very different understanding of power and how it works and what he's doing in the world, dude, than you and I have. And it is far better than anything that we could ever even begin to conceive of. But because I think we don't see that or, or don't trust him in those things and what's being revealed there, we wind up with a very misunderstanding of power that we then apply to the parables of Jesus. And then we run out and talk about this kingdom and try to bring about this kingdom in the name of God and his kingdom. That's actually very opposite of what Jesus says the kingdom's doing. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're not making a trilogy of action movies on any of those five things that you mentioned there. That's not that's <laughs> not gonna that's not gonna there's sell. no born coming out of this, dude. <laughs> exactly. No Jason Bourne, no Rocky, no, no Star Wars. You're not casting Bruce Willis in his heyday or Schwarzenegger in his heyday for uh-uh. for that role. It doesn't it doesn't check any of the boxes for None. you know anything that's epic or powerful or strong or any of it. Yeah, dude. There's, um, I'm just going to go ahead and share this dude. Like let's, let's take first the incarnation of Jesus. All right. Like how God chose to become flesh and enter into the story, man, to enter into the world with a very specific mission in mind. Last night, uh, Eli, my youngest, he just turned four for those who are listening. Don't know about Mr. Eli. He, um, he's our add on. He's our Mr. Surprise. Uh, my kids are <laughs> 22, 19, 16, um, who's my nephew who, who, who just came to live with us and, uh, Mr. Add on Eli, Mr. Surprise, who just turned four. And, um, last night it's bedtime, dude. We always read, you know, we always read before we go to bed and he wanted to read the Jesus storybook Bible. You familiar with that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've it's, used it. Yeah. It's pretty fantastic, man. It For really sure. is. And so last night he just kind of like randomly puts like opens it up and goes, I want to read this one. So I'm like, okay, it says the light of the whole world. And dude, I'm just going to read this because there is no way I can say it better. All right. than the author, but man, it literally like brought tears in my eyes. It says that same night in and among the other stars, suddenly a bright new star appeared of all the stars in the dark vaulted heavens. This one shone clear. It blazed in the night and made the other stars look pale beside it. God put it there when his baby son was born to be like a spotlight shining on him 
lighting up the darkness, showing people the way to him. You see, God was like a new daddy and he couldn't keep the good news to himself. He had been waiting all these years for this moment and now he wanted to tell everyone. So he pulled out all the stops and he sent an angel to tell Mary the good news. And he put a special star in the sky to show where his boy was. And now he was going to send a big choir of angels to sing his happy song to the world. <laughs> now, where would you send your splendid choir? To a big concert hall, maybe? Or perhaps like a palace? Yeah. Well, God sent his to a little hillside outside of a little town in the middle of the night. And he sent it to all the angels to sing for a raggedy old bunch of shepherds watching their sheep outside Bethlehem. Dude, I like literally started tearing up, man, as I was reading this to him last night. It says, in those days, remember, people used to laugh at shepherds and say they were smelly and call them rude names, which I can't possibly mention here. You see, people thought shepherds were nobodies, just scuffy old riffraff. But God must have thought shepherds were really, really, really important indeed, because they're the ones he chose to tell the good news to first. You see, that night, some shepherds were out in the open fields, warming themselves by a campfire when suddenly the sheep darted. They were frightened by something. The olive trees rustled. She says, what was that? A wing beat? They turned around and standing in front of them was this huge warrior of light blazing in the darkness and said, don't be afraid of me. The bright shining man said, I have come. He says, I haven't come to hurt you. I've come to bring you happy news for everyone, everywhere. You know, kind of like a net, kind of like a drag net. You know what I'm saying? He talks about how the mate, how the, how God's son was born and he's sleeping in a manger. And behind the angels, it says, they saw a strange glowing cloud, except it wasn't a cloud. It was angels, troops and troops of angels armed with light. And they were singing a beautiful song, glory to God, be fame and honor and all our hoorays. Then as quickly as they appeared, the angels left and the shepherds, the shepherds, she says, they stamped out their fires and they left their sheep and they raced down the grassy hill <laughs> through the gates of Bethlehem, down the narrow cobble streets, through a courtyard, down some steps, some more steps, some more steps, <laughs> past an inn, around a corner, through a hedge until at last they reached a tumble down stable. They caught their breath. They quietly tiptoed inside and they knelt on the floor and they had heard about this promised child. And now he was here. Heaven's son, the maker of the stars a baby sleeping in his mother's arms. This baby would be like the bright star shining in the sky that night, a light to, to light up the whole world, chasing away darkness, helping people to see. Do listen to this. And the darker the night got, the brighter the star would shine. <laughs> Dude, I, f- I so love that, man. <laughs> it's so good. The fact that God like clues a bunch of shepherds in, you Dude. know, is, um, you know, out here is a, uh, it's a pretty blue collar industry where I live. You got a lot of steel mills. And when I read shepherd, I just think of, you know, my kind of like past as a, you know, swinging a hammer, building houses, dudes who work at, you know, BP refinery, the mills. And man, these guys are just a bunch of smelly, foul mouth, salty, black coffee drinking, you know what I'm saying? Pickup (laughs) driving, (laughs) just like roughnecks, dude. Yeah, the outcasts of society, man. The bottom, were. the very, very bottom. Think about the net. The very, this would be like in society, this would be the very bottom run, right? This the is, very bottom of the ocean. They don't even like count the, as fish. Uh, they, they count as like the beer cans and the boots that are getting caught up. Yeah. Or if you remember Jim Gaffigan's joke about shrimp, they count as the, the shrimp. <laughs> um, and dude, God just, he includes them. He includes yeah, them. He does, man. Dude, his kingdom literally works the opposite of the way the world imagines power, authority, how how it gets done, what it wants to get done. And yet in these seemingly very foolish, silly, head-scratching ways, yep. 
The kingdom is moving forward. It is going to reach a destination one day. It's like an arrow headed for a target. One day it will reach the target. It will hit the target. Mm. We don't live in a constant loop of time. We live in a timeline that will one day come to a conclusion. And this parable gets into what's going to happen. Yeah. So when God shows up, he shows up opposite of everything we think. He shows up as a lowly baby born, dude, on the side of a dirty hill, man, in a filthy stable to a teenage mom and a carpenter. And the people he decides to tell to come and celebrate are the outcasts of society, man. It's the opposite of this power idea that we have. And we could see it in the incarnation of Jesus. But do we also see it in the temptation that Jesus faces soon as he begins his ministry, right? The Bible tells us that he was, that he's, that he's led out into the wilderness, right? For 40 days and he fasts and it's there that Satan comes and basically tempts him three different times. And what I love about looking at those temptations that Satan comes along and what Jesus is saying, dude, it, it definitely paints a very, very, very different picture of what we think is power. Satan comes and he's like, Hey, if you're God, you know what I mean? What are you going to do here? I mean, you're going to tell these stones become bread. You're going to eat something. And, you know, cause this is what power, this is what power looks like. This is what messiahs do. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about that, dude. And, and I was reminded of like Henry Nowen's words where he says that this temptation touches at the center of human identity in a variety of ways. We are made to believe right out of the, right out of the womb, dude, we are made to believe that we are what we produce in this life. Mm. This leads to a preoccupation with products, visible results, tangible goods, and you ready? Progress, mm. progress, dude. We're obsessed with it and our timelines. And so Jesus being someone who could very well turn stones into bread says, you know what? I think you're a little confused because man doesn't live by bread alone. The life we have, yeah, it's from the very words of God himself. Your perception of power and how it works is opposite of what really is, which is probably why the poet T.S. Eliot said that half the problems in the world stem from people trying to feel important. (laughs) Dude, if there was ever a quote, man, for me... Like one of those, you know what I mean? Just like one liners where you're like, wow. Yeah. That's 6,000 years of human history. Like right there, right out of the gate. Half the problems in the world stem from people who are trying to feel important because of a misunderstanding of power and their identity. And we see that right there in the temptation. You know what I mean? They came to Jesus. Yep. Yeah, dude. It's um, it's a hard pill to swallow to realize that the operation of the king known as the kingdom, the only way to find yourself really enjoying it Mm. is not to work hard, study hard, be smart, right? And achieve your way into understanding it. The only way to understand it is the dissension into Mm. your own brokenness, your own frailty to where you start to see yourself in the people who grab on. The Pharisees at the dinner party were appalled by the woman of the night who crashed the party to come and worship at the feet of Jesus with tears and perfume and hair and dirt and a colored sexual past Mm. they were scandalized by it but until you see yourself in her until you see that you yourself are a whore in a certain sense (laughs) a prostitute in a certain sense that you have compromised yourself in a certain sense in a variety of different ways you will never understand that he came for you he came for me he came for the whole world and so it's just beautiful man it's just beautiful yeah because even if you look at some of you know the other temptations, we don't have time to go on all of them, but like Satan then, right? He's like, Hey man, if you're really God, let's do something spectacular here. Cause yeah. this is what, this is what we need to happen. Dude. If you watch the news right now, if you listen to a lot of popular Christian thought, you know what it is? It's calling everybody to do things that are spectacular right now mm-hmm. to present a power right now 
that would change everything right now in our timeline, making things the way we think they should be right now. And we see that, dude, like right in the scriptures. And Jesus is like, no, I think, again, you, you've got a misunderstanding of power. Um, this, this temptation to do something spectacular, okay, has always been alive and well. It's alive and well right now, as I was just stating. We've come to believe that uh, a service is valuable when many people attend, right? A protest or a demonstration is worthwhile when television cameras are present. You, know, you can kind of go down the list, man. Like a, a church is successful if it has many members, okay? Like like truth in our culture really has become, I guess one way to say it is like, it's become uh, how much, like largely determined by statistics, okay? Um, how many people listen? How many people watch? How many attend? How many attend? How much money comes in is the measure that we use today to present like what's powerful. I'm just and remembering. It's just the total of the- opposite of how God describes. It's so, it's so it funny. Like right now, one of the big things on the right is they make fun of Biden because of how many YouTube uh, views he gets. And so they're like, oh, this dude, this dude must not be worthy of being our president because he's only getting so many views. And it's just like, yeah, it's just so funny. Like, I just the like you mentioned that and I was thinking like just the anecdotal evidence, the numbers, the strength, you know, yep. and we use we, it on both sides of the aisle. Shake. Totally, totally. Yeah. But whatever it is, man, like it, like the list goes on, dude. You look at the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Messiahs don't die is what they're told. And yet Jesus is stating continuously through his journey that his mission, dude, is to, is, is to die. I've mm-hmm. come to give my life as a ransom to set the captives free. And then we come in because of our, again, our unwillingness to take him at his word and parables like about the net. And we come in and decide who captives are and who they're not, who qualifies as the captives that Jesus came for who counts based off what they've done or who counts based off what's been done to them. Mm. It's like, no, he's referring to all of humanity. We're all a slave to sin and death. The Bible says, but and again, we're like, we're thinking he's going to come and like, he's going to force us all in a behavior camp, man, and kick out anybody who doesn't qualify. Right. And instead he's going, no, the most powerful thing I can do is justly punish sin in and through my life. I'm going to deal with it with my own death. I'm going to crucify it. And it's going to be the most powerful thing that's ever happened or will ever happen because evil itself can't undo it. Dude, again, there it is. Opposite of what we think about power, resurrection. He doesn't he doesn't rise from the grave and say, "All right, now all those who can who can get it together, I'll let this count for you." Instead, the scripture says, "No, he just dies for all of humanity and then raises all of humanity." in his very life, which is why, as you were saying earlier in a podcast, we start out included and then in our unbelief, exclude ourselves. Yep. And then you can, again, man, you can see it on that last point I mentioned with the ascension of Jesus, that in the end, dude, right? He comes back from the grave. (laughs) I love that when you see it in the scriptures, he's like there with the disciples. He spends 40 days teaching them more about the kingdom and what God's like. And at the end, they're like, so uh, so is now the time that you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Is now the time that you're going to make us the winning team and sort of build everything around us? Sweet. We got the dude who can't die on our team. We're about to take on Rome. <laughs> Here we go. And Jesus is looking at this crowd. He's like, still, still, you don't get it. And um, just so we're clear, the spirit's coming. He's going to constantly remind you of all that I've done and declared. That's his role. And uh, you'll be full of the power that you need to go and proclaim this good news to others. And then he literally disappears. He ascends. He's caught up into heaven. He leaves, he leaves earth in bodily form. And what I love about that dude is like, we're here, like, we can look at that and be like, what does that have to do with power? And I'm like, 
He's announcing hands off all that is needed to reconcile humanity to God and one another. I have done in my death and resurrection. You need bring nothing to the table. You can't. So he has this hands off announcement with his ascension and just declares it is finished. You are included. I'm inviting you to go and declare this to others. And I just, I'm, I'm looking at that man and I'm just, well, I'm reminded of like how how simple it is and how opposite it is of what we would often do if we were in charge of some power operation called the kingdom. But it seems that Jesus knows exactly what he's doing and he knows exactly how it works. Works like a net, he says, and it will accomplish all that it sets out to do. It will bring anything and everything to the shore, just as he promised. So again, man, we have this these different displays of, of God and his power and how he works. It's so opposite of us. And I think what he's doing in these parables is inviting us to trust him. Amen, man. That's good stuff. I appreciated that little breakdown there and those five points and seeing power through the lens of kind of like the the big kind of like monumental points of his yeah. ministry. Um, yeah, and we're seeing it in little glimpses in these parables, but then when you span out and see the the, the totality of his life and, and how he's revealed himself from, from birth to ascension, um, yeah, it just really plays out. So it's good, man. It's good. But um, yeah, we're going to wrap up with that. We're going to move on. Next podcast will be a last call. We have a few little like kind of junk drawer scrap thoughts from the parables of um, of the kingdom as Jesus has been describing here. And some questions, through. questions and thoughts that have come in dude, from the audience. Some really good ones. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So with yeah. that said, man, we'll wrap this one up. So until next time, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>